0: Hey, everyone, and welcome, dear listener, to Security Headlines. My name is Philip, and I will be your host on this episode. In this episode, we're going to deep dive into OSINT, which is sort for of open source information gathering. What is it? How much information can someone find out about you, your workplace? And how, how do we use OSINT? How can we use it to our advantage? In this episode of Security Headlines, joining me today is someone that is involved in many great tools in this area, such as Discover, the Harvester, DNS, Recon, and several other tools that you can find ported in various operating systems. Joining me today, it's a pl- pleasure to have him on. It's an amazing hacker and developer, it's Jay Townsend. How are you doing today, Jay? I'm doing good. Thanks very much so i'm really interested to have you on the show especially because i've been using the harvester a lot for doing various parts of pen tests and whatnot and i also use dns recon so i think this is going to be a really fun episode but before we kind of deep dive into all those tools i'm very curious how did you get into infosec and hacking and technology what has been your journey here
1: uh that kind of started when i was roughly around i think i yeah when i was in college and i got exposed to Linux and then i started playing around with like Ubuntu and then i started i can't quite remember how i came across it but i found Backtrack at the time and then i just yeah. started playing around with that and i found it really cool and it just kind of went from there that i've just been interested in it ever since and then i was just like teach myself how to do programming and stuff like that so i taught myself Python and Bash and then I got reached out to Lee Bayard of uh, Discover when it says for one of his talks on Iron Geek's website. And basically, pretty much from that, uh, I've just been doing stuff with him. And then he introduced me to uh, everyone. And then I've like just joined core dev teams of DNS Recon and the harvest there, and pretty much the rest is history <laughs> on that one.
0: That's really fun to hear because that's actually a similar story to how I got into Infosec. It's, we were playing a lot of war games, and then my friend helped me install Backtrack uh, in VirtualBox, and then I was carried on from there. Was there any like light bulb moment for you where you're like, maybe it was pulling off your first exploit or something, where you're like, wow, this is really cool?
1: I think it was when I was playing with Matilda in DVWA. Oh, cool. Just like playing with that and just learning how to do stuff, and then when I set up my uh, Wi-Fi at the time to WEP, and then just learning, oh, this is this is why you don't have WEP because it is literally that easy to break <laughs> into. Um, so yeah, just just been learning. Uh, teach myself things like that and i got the hack five wi-fi pineapple bash bunny and so forth and just i didn't I haven't had much time to play around with those more but that is definitely something that i want to learn more and uh, the same with Suite, so i got Suite prone not too long ago so yeah and then from that uh just learn other new techniques and tools just by doing like hack the box
0: and try hack me those are great resources, and I'll I make sure those are linked below. Hack the Box and uh, hackthissite.org, I think there's one called, and learning all these techniques and ways to exploit things.
1: Yeah, they're definitely good uh, resources to teach yourself uh, different techniques, and they can like, walk you through things as well. Yeah, because I'm trying to come as this admin by day, um, oh. and I have been trying to get into breaking into the infosec community that's as, often like, a really paper. good
0: uh, combination right there being able to because then you kind of think differently like okay if i deploy this this way then maybe xyz will happen and you think infosec has uh, affected your sysadmin life oh definitely so
1: just i always i um, thinking about okay how can any improvements that i can do that i seen that's like oh that's not quite right or something like that so basically, wherever I've been, job-wise, I've always been where I can improving the security. The fun little story: one of the places where I worked, I was doing some troubleshooting, and if you enabled two the bug flags on two certain processes, it then literally logged the username and passwords into the log files. So I found that and then I wrote, oh, wow. yeah, I reported that to the developers and like, <laughs> yeah, we need to fix that.
0: Yeah, that <laughs> might be good. Like not letting passwords go any further than the password hashing is normally yeah. good. Yeah, so anyone that had
1: access to the system and could just look in the logs and be like, oh, there's some passwords. <laughs> so yeah, that wasn't great. But um, yeah, I know there's been some incidents of that with like Twitter and Monzo. So it does happen, but it's just about once that you get identified, you fix it. And the rest is history on that
0: one. I think that's very useful. I read, the, I think it was a book about exploitation like 10 years ago. And it basically said that if you ever get the source code, make sure you check out all the to-do things and all the debug flags, because people enable a lot of crazy shit when they do debugging. Oh, uh, Yeah. So I guess you're very into hardening systems then, and you've kind of been around the block for a while on that. Is there any special security hardenings that you perform if you were to put like computer visible on the internet?
1: Uh, I think the CTL hardening uh, is definitely a good way to go because uh, you can do a lot of locking stuff down that way. I know Ubuntu has quite a bit of stuff like that already built in on the system when you install it. Same with Red Hat as well red hat 6 is lacking stuff but when you get to 7 and 8 you then get the options to enable a lot more and there's certain things that come in enabled by default as well but yeah there's always more you can do about it having something like aid as well and just running just basically follow the sys benchmark which is a good way of locking systems down Uh, you just can't Apply everything because if you do, the system just kind of breaks if you, whatever application you're running. So, it is about picking out certain things that you can apply that doesn't affect the system and the application. And sometimes it is a bit of a trial and error, but once you've got it and you get it pretty locked down, then yeah, you should be pretty much good to go and just keep on top of patches. And if you can run something like Nessus regularly, then yeah. You, you should be pretty good.
0: Yeah, schedule Nessus scans is always a, a really good thing to have just to keep updated yeah. on what new exploits have been published and stuff like that. But yeah, it definitely gives you recommendations on like the
1: Sys benchmark and it can do obviously other things as well. So it is a good tool to help you find where you can go about locking things down more as well. And if people use like Bloodhound, for example, you can then obviously... Uh, Find ways to lock it down out do of directory better as well and have a good scene solution.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that normally helps a lot. Is there any favorite tools you have for automating like updates and stuff like that?
1: Uh, I love using Ansible because you can just run Ansible playbooks. It's very easy to use. It's just a YAML pretty much, and then you just can go and run it. There's yeah, Salt's another good one. I'm not the biggest fan of Puppet or Chef because Ruby. And that can be a bit tedious, but um, yeah, yeah. I would say Ansible is definitely the better one out of all of those because it's just a lot simpler. And you don't need to have a uh, server like you do with Puppet and Chef. Yeah, it's
0: I love Ansible. Quick, yeah. I really love Ansible because we have like I maintain these different operating systems. There's a bunch of Red Hat boxes. There's a bunch of Debian boxes. There's a run for OpenBSD boxes. There's a run for Free BSD boxes, and then I just write a playbook for each type of the operating system, like one for OpenBSD, here's how the new patches are applied, and one for Debian, and it's super easy.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a good tool, and it's even a good tool to use for uh, spinning up your like C2 infrastructure if you're doing a pen test, so you can have provision stuff that way, and also the same with like Terraform as well. Hmm.
0: Okay, I'm very curious, and I think our listeners are very curious about knowing more about OSINT. So from your perspective, what is OSINT and what can we kind of do with that?
1: So from my perspective, it's just about gathering the lay of the land because you can from doing that, you can see what the organization you're doing a pen test for or part of bug bounties, what they have, and kind of just understand oh, is there anything that stands out that you go, oh, there could be something juicy on that and then go about finding it and then you can obviously go about reporting it or and they can then fix it. So it's a, it's a good way to just find out the lay of the land because I wouldn't be surprised if like big organizations just kind of lose track of their land and they don't know what they've got on the internet or it could be like an old box that they just completely forgot. It's like, oh yeah, that was meant to be decommissioned to X, Y and Z ago or like a, a JIRA that's just sitting somewhere and we major exploits that have come out for it it's just like yeah you probably should get that off the internet or at least patch it if it hasn't already been popped so yeah it's just stuff like that
0: really and just understanding the lay of the land yeah absolutely i 100 percent agree with you like go try to update all your subdomains and make sure that you're not ro- uh, running like dev environments publicly and uh stuff like that that i've found on various pentests when people have like their some kind of web ide running in, in and subdomain that is called dev something and then just expect no one to find that out but have it public because it's very easy for the developers and the sysadmins admins just to do that and it's a lot of hidden treasures you can find so to say
1: definitely that's like gathering all of the sources into one tool like the harvester just makes it easier to do find that information and then, you go, and then you can just go and have a look and yeah have fun with it basically of course, as long as it's legal of course
0: yes of course of course and all uh all internet facing stuff is basically welcome to the internet everyone can walk in unfortunately sometimes
1: yes lots of bots that are just scanning to easily get in as well
0: yeah a lot of people harvesting that low-hanging fruit uh Unfortunately, but so you mentioned the Harvester. What is the Harvester?
1: So it's a Python program that has a load of API calls to different sources. And from that, it just correlates it all into one easy to understand program and with the output of all the domains and IPs. And then you can just go and use that to run it into other tools and so forth. I was going to say it's just a good part of you just run something like that to get the lay of the land and then you could even with the proxy feature you could even pipe it into like birth as well I've seen people do that um, which is pretty cool Um, with the 4.0 release that we've done not too long ago that I tagged we now have a REST API as well oh that's cool so you can do a, a lot of stuff with that and I'm interested to see what new features the community comes up with for that
0: yeah, because it seems to have a pretty big user base, right? I mean, it's in Kali Linux, which is a popular penetration testing operating system. It is in Debian's package repositories or? Uh, it's in BlackArch. It's in Set because they
1: use Kali's repositories. And I think it might be even in someone, I think maybe even done like an AUR package as well for it. Um, so yeah, it's pretty much in all the major ones there isn't an actual it's not upstream packaged uh in debian like it is for dns recon but yeah you can easily just install it in a uh, virtual and install it
0: it's not hard and the way you go pretty much that's nice Uh, how long have you been involved with the harvester oh uh i think about
1: nearly. uh two or three years maybe it's something of,
0: along those lines
1: i can't remember my memory's not the greatest on that one but it is it has been a while
0: how has the project grown uh, during that time span
1: yeah quite a lot so we've got a lot more people that are using it now um specific, uh, i the first thing that i did when i joined the core dev team was port it to python 3 oh nice and then we went and added uh async functionality we then went and redid the way we were doing async functionality and then we've just been adding more modules and fixes and the rest api and yeah and just fixing packaging bugs for like cali as well and just making things just better for everyone so it's it's grown a lot so it's just me and this other guy that does it chris who created it he just leaves us two to do it and leave will like test it as well as me and Matt, because we're the ones that are writing code for it. And then we just have fun. Matt introduced uh, ages ago, a screenshot functionality as well. So you can like search for subdomains and get it to output pictures of a web page as well, which I Honestly? I think that, I think it kind of gets uh, underutilized a little bit, uh, I think on that one, that's just the feeling that I get. So it is definitely handy. I've been meaning myself to play around with it more as well. Hmm.
0: How was porting it from Python two to Python three? Because I ported the uh, applications that were like fifteen thousand lines of code from Python two to three, and it could be a pain in the ass, but it's also a very good good thing to do. You get a lot more performance. How was how was that thing?
1: Uh, from what I can recall, it wasn't that bad. Because hmm. it. J- it just wasn't that bad. There was a few tough points, but yeah, we got through that. And then once it was done, it's just been relatively easy to uh, maintain going forward. So yeah, it's that's a, just a good thing when you do major refactors like that. It you can tidy stuff up because we did have tidied a lot of stuff up as well as as we've gone. And yes, yeah, so it just makes it easier. Uh, I added unit tests. Nice. and set up CI for it so it's just we can keep on top of bugs about that as well and yeah just fixes and changes that come from the community which is always welcome and it's just fun to see what people are doing
0: and if someone wants to submit a bug to the harvester what's the best way of doing that
1: uh just go and report it to the
0: github repository all right, you can so, also reach
1: out to me on Twitter as well if you wanted, but it is just easier to stick it on GitHub.
0: All right, just create an issue there on the Harvester's GitHub. Yes. Awesome. Is there any, like, hidden gems in the Harvester or, like, special feature that you think more people should uh, use because it's, like, super useful and not a lot of people are using it?
1: Um, i definitely say as, like mentioned previously the uh, the rest API kind of as that's very to so it'd be fun to see what people do with that i have also done changes to dns brute forcing as well to update that so it'd be interesting to see if people use that more i honestly don't know how uh, what everyone uses as parts of it but um, there's definitely those things would be interesting to see what people think of them and any tweaks that they think would be good
0: when do you use the harvester when you're not developing on it? And how do you use it?
1: Uh, I would use it for, um, I can use it for work just to kind of help out a bit in there where I can. Um, and also, when I do, uh, I've been recently looking into playing around with bug bounties as well. So when I'm do, having a stab at that and nice. seeing what's there.
0: Yeah, bug bounties is really, could be really, really fun sometimes and a way for us security nerds that are not 100% working with security to get some extra pen tests done. So that's, uh, those can be very fun sometimes.
1: Most definitely.
0: So another like really useful tools uh, for doing bug bounties and also for performing pen tests is a tool that I assume comes from another tool which is named Fierce, which I still run sometimes but it's an old Ruby script, it's called DNS Recon which you're also involved in, right?
1: Yes, DNS Recon, that is actually a Python program. Uh, It does have a bit of uh, integration with Metasploit, but I don't know how often people use that, but uh, yeah, that's a good thing to use, to run it in parallel with uh, the Harvester, for example.
0: That's nice, Uh, and what does it do? I assume you give it a word list of a lot of subdomains and it checks that, or what does DNS recon do?
1: Uh, So you just give it the base domain and it will go and query the DNS servers and just start pulling information from the DNS that it can get out of it. And you can also get it to check if it's vulnerable to uh, a zone transfer as well so if it can pull out like uh-huh. really everything that the DNS server knows about. So it's just that's basically that, all DNS focused.
0: That's really that's a really really good tool to have in your belt for doing OSINT I would imagine, especially being able to kind of map the the organization and what subdomains they run.
1: Uh, yeah like to, it's all great to just have to use those two tools in parallel because you can then just combine it into a massive uh, word list, but we recently also in the house that added JSON output as well, so you can oh. get JSON output. I know that's been a feature of DNS Recon for a while, um, so you can just use that. And if there's any tools that we can just input JSON, you can do that, or just stick it into like a text file and then just run it with other tools and see what other tools find with the subdomains that you've got, and and just keep going from there in the rabbit hole. <laughs>
0: Nice. Very nice. And uh, do you use DNS recon when you're doing bug bounties as well?
1: Yeah, use it a little bit. I probably should use it more. It's just I'm just wanting to try and learn other new tools when I do that. So I kind of focus a bit more on not the ones that I know, I focus on the other ones that I don't know as much to help get more of an understanding of them and just to improve my filter and tool belt.
0: Yeah, I think that's always useful to broaden your horizon, so to say, you might learn a new technique or a, a new way of gathering some kind of information.
1: Most definitely.
0: So for people that are a bit like paranoid and want to know what's out there for them, what information is public, do you have any to go references? Or what should these people do if someone wants to perform like an OSINT audit of themselves?
1: I would say use it in the Harvester because, uh, like I said, it uses a lot of APIs calls where you'd be able to just look up that information manually. So it's just good to use something like that. And then, yeah, you can just do f- f- further investigations as well.
0: And for people that want to kind of uh, get more off the grid, so to say, do you have any special recommendation for people that want to protect themselves against the OSINT attacks and wants uh, their life to stay more non-internet public, so to say? Uh, Yeah.
1: Don't have uh, many... uh, Well, try to remove all your social media because that's a good way to get stuff as well. And then, yeah, because it's pretty much that from what I can... Hell, if you just got like social media, then you can start to grab a lot more layers of where they work, for example. And then you can just kind of maybe do some, then run like the uh, harvester to get all the domains. And then you could even go about doing with phishing uh, and it's further down the lines of that. So it's just about limiting what's out there to reduce your attack surface really
0: is there any special things you have done that you think worked really well maybe Uh, your name on social media or something like that
1: yeah so it's just basically like if there's websites that you just don't want to like have your name on just come up with an alias and just stick it on that and if you can you could also use throwaway like email addresses as well if you don't want to just have your actual email address in there if you're not too sure about the site for example just stuff like that it's just also comes down to i think common sense as
0: well yeah yeah absolutely don't uh, expose more of more than you than you're supposed to so to say That's...
1: well what you're comfortable with really yeah
0: yeah exactly exactly so let's say that you're we talked a bit Earlier about this as well, but what if, if you were supposed to do a pen test for an organization? And let's—I assume a lot of pen testers they start with doing OSINT work. But if you were to start doing a pen test on uh, orga- some organization like tomorrow, how would you start doing OSINT work on that organization? I'd uh, run the Harvester uh, and
1: DNS Recon get as much information that I could um, from like subdomains and email addresses that would get returned as well. And then just kind of from there, work out a plan and and then just go, okay, I'll try that way. If that doesn't work, uh, try a different one. And then you can just kind of go from there really. It's just about finding your workflow that A works for you and B that you're returns the most investment i'm not so sure that's like the
0: correct phrasing but i think you kind of get legit. the jib the best return of investment probably yeah. yeah 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 most fruit for your labor so to say yeah that's the kind of the phrasing i was looking for awesome so you mentioned that you you've done some development with python and python asyncs, which i think is awesome That we, now have async functionality in Python. How was your kind of? You touched a bit. You told you told us that you have been into Bash and also Python. But how was your? how's your development journey been? And uh, what do you like to code in?
1: So I just code in Python predominantly. I have toyed around a little bit in Go as well. And um, Go, I would like to get more familiar with because it's definitely handy with having on nice because especially with it, it's just like built into its compiler that you can just cross compile very easily for different operating systems I wish Python would have something like that where you could just compile it into binaries and it would translate it to different OS's and, and like 32 bit or ARM or whatever that would be something that would be really handy and I think a lot of people would really enjoy having something like that for Python I know you can use py uh, pi EXE, for example, but that's just obviously focused on Windows. I know you can, you can compile stuff in Python, but it's not, I think not, there could be-
0: It's not the same as Golang, where you can just tell the compiler to, hey, I want to cross compile this to platform X, Y, and C."
1: Yeah, it's
0: not anywhere as simple as Go is on that,
1: which would be a great feature if that could get introduced.
0: Yeah, that that would actually yeah that would be awesome, especially because Python is so loved by the community and there's just so many packages and so much going on in the Python space. Yeah, and
1: I think it's also because it's just one of those
0: languages that is just
1: very easy to grasp. I think because, like, for me, as I mentioned previously, I started off with Bash and I found the Limitations of that very quickly, so that's when I started to learn uh, Python. I didn't bother learning Python two. I pretty much kind of worked it out from it. It's just the way that print functions and the and, and bytes and strings are used differently in a uh, Python three. But um, yeah, that I started learning that when Python three had been out for a little while. So I just was like, "Oh, there's no point using Python two because it's being deprecated." Yeah, and for anyone that wants to try and find a good IDE for Python, that definitely helped m- me. Um, PyCharm, PyCharm is a very good IDE to use for that. And I think it is predominantly, I know Visual Studio Code gets used quite a bit, um, but I, I do think that PyCharm is like the go-to standard for Python development.
0: But, yeah, yeah, and I know it's everyone's uh, cool. open source as well, right?
1: Pycharm, I'm not too sure because mm. I know uh, they do also have a pro version as well, so which is their paid offering. They do have a community version. I'm, I, I th- actually no, yeah, I think it is open source because you can download the source code and like then just run it from the folder. So I think it is. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but. Um,
0: but it's pretty useful. You get, like, uh, descriptions and it helps you with the code, right? Describing functions and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, so it's just kind of like the same
0: as uh, any, any uh,
1: editor that has in Pepsi sense really, it'll, as you type in, like, function calls, it'll go, oh, do you, you'll just you, like, do a dot and then you just have, like, a drop down of all of the methods that you can call and so forth, so yeah it's just basically the same but it's just about having everything that's just integrated and more tailored towards python but you can add other extensions to it as well to have other functionality for example as i've been playing around with terraform recently there's you can it can support terraform file formats and stuff like that so it can do more than just python and web related stuff just from extensions but Yeah, it's definitely something that is focused more around of Python type of development and
0: like web as well. Is that what you use as your uh, like daily driver for doing Python development? Pycharm?
1: Yeah, I use it for everything. I just use it for absolutely everything because I just a I love it and b it's just something that I know well. So I just use it for everything because it can be used for pretty much everything as well.
0: Nice. So you built up your workflow and have your ways. Yeah. That's awesome. That's what you want.
1: Yeah, I definitely like the feature. It's in the pro version where you can have a remote Python interpreter. So if you wanted to, you could literally have a different box where you could run the code on if you wanted to, if you didn't want to do stuff on your own machine. But yeah, it's definitely a good way to write code and then push it to like your test box if you wanted to run whatever tests you want to go from from there which is quite handy yeah, I, I don't see that might be possible in visual studio code uh, i'm not too sure but yeah it's definitely something that is good and i don't know if visual studio code even how well it handles wsl because python has support for wsl as well
0: hmm. so yeah is PyCharm only Python or, or could you write like shell scripts in it? Then it has like syntax highlighting for and support for other? Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. You can do uh, bash scripts. You can oh, do true. other code in it and it will uh, have syntax highlighting. You can just add different extensions from JetBrains or from the third parties that have created things as well. So it's kind of like Visual Studio code, but it's kind of the way I'd describe it is it's more kind of like visual full fat visual studio but just with extensions that you can stick in it and not just like tie it to like like C and stuff like that I will admit I don't know too much about uh, visual studio I have like had to install it on systems previously in the past but that's as much as I go about it I
0: mean, if you find something, because choosing an ID is, you know, about of course about choosing your workflow, and then when you have your nice workflow put up, then you're ready to go. I so would say.
1: Yep, and it has a great integration um, with Docker as well.
0: PyCharm does as well, so you can automatically create Docker containers and deploy those. Or
1: yeah, so if you've got a Docker file, and um, it will then. You can easily configure that and hook it up to your Docker infrastructure or uh, even if it's on your local computer and you can just go that and it'll go and build it. And yeah, you can then test stuff from that way as well.
0: Hmm. That's really useful. So a lot of people are working from home these days and uh, some people often have problems managing their time. I know uh, I, I like to work one hour and then take some breaks, but how do you kind of allocate your, uh, your work time? Do you like sit down and then you work on a project for like eight hours or you take breaks or how do you manage your time?
1: When I'm doing my day job, I just, if I'm focusing on stuff, I just get on with that until I like need a drink or a bathroom break, for example. But uh, yeah, it's definitely about with the whole pandemic, it's about just trying to find ways to just get into a good workflow and and just balance the uh, work-life balance as well
0: yeah i think that's something really important and because of the corona stuff then a lot of people are working from home and then might be trickier to choose when to work so to say yeah
1: it's definitely good
0: that it's unfortunate that it
1: I had to take a pandemic for companies to realize what people have been asking for years that a people can work from home more and actually still get stuff done. And it even shows that, Oh, actually pro- productivity goes up. So yeah, it's, it's just because people don't get interrupted as much and they can just feel more comfortable and don't have to feel, have the pressure of like everyone around them that you've got at the office.
0: Yeah, you're in a safe zone and you find your ways around that. Yeah, it's, you just feel a lot more comfortable at home. I know not everyone
1: prefers working at home, so it's each to their own on that, but it's about companies letting people pick if they want to permanently work from home and the only time that they go into the office is if they need to have like a meeting that you can't do over like Zoom or Teams, for example, Yeah, just stuff like that just works better for everyone, if you ask me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Having the option to choose is is really something that uh, I think should be valued very, very high.
1: Yeah, I I don't know how it's like in other countries, but um, the UK has always, from what I can tell, predominantly been mostly everyone's just like in the office. You didn't really find many jobs where you could permanently work from home until... COVID team about which is unfortunate because every like I said everyone has just been asking for stuff like that for years and you just have to take something like this to realize A companies have the infrastructure to, to support it and that people can actually be trusted to do it
0: yeah exactly because you want uh, you of course want your all your employees to be able to perform at uh, max level or in the best way possible that they're comfortable with and also enjoy the work. Most definitely. Awesome. So how does your current battle station at home look like? What do you run on your main computer?
1: Uh, so I run Ubuntu as my daily on it. Um, it is dual booted with Windows, but I only ever go into Windows when A, I need to download like BIOS updates, for example, or B, that I want to Uh, do a bit of PC gaming, but the majority of time I just always go into uh, Ubuntu and uh, just do my day-to-day stuff in that because A, it's more secure than Windows and B, I just prefer it, to be honest.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's much easier to compile stuff on Linux as well, I've noticed.
1: Yeah, and especially the
0: fact, for example, like Python is installed
1: on every linux distro going by default so you can't go wrong with that either and it's just a great way to do dev work on as well
0: yeah absolutely i i really enjoy the the linux distros i'm running debian myself and i'm i'm pretty happy for it especially for the both i really enjoy both debian and ubuntu they support a lot of different uh, laptops and hardwares so you can get it running on most of the hardware you got home which is nice yeah, when I first started playing around with Ubuntu uh, back in Ubuntu
1: ten ten days, and then I didn't go full time on the laptop that I had at the time until Ubuntu eleven oh four. So, as you can tell, I've been using Linux for quite a while.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. It, it, the only things where I have ever slightly run into issues with um, pers- myself. I know everyone's different. Is just Wi-Fi drivers. Mm-hmm. I haven't really had any. Other issues than with that, but um, yeah, it's just predominantly Wi-Fi drivers can be a bit of a pain in Linux. But hopefully, well, the years have gone by and it has improved. But um, it's just about companies thinking about Linux from the get-go and having support for it, because Linux is used more and more uh, these days. Obviously, it gets used for server infrastructure quite a bit. Yeah, it's just I I wish more companies would think about having drivers for Linux from out-of-the-box for stuff. But uh, yeah, it is a bit surely changing in that regard. Um, But there's still ways a lot of people can go from that.
0: Yeah, there's been a long fight uh, between the the Wi-Fi shift manufacturers and the open source community because a lot of the Wi-Fi drivers are just uh, proprietary and black to run and no one really knows how they work, except except the manufacturer, so that kind of sucks. Yeah,
1: but uh, with uh, the Linux firmware update repository, so that is getting more companies to be able to provide BIOS updates, for example, via Linux, which is great, and I just wish more companies would get on board with that, and the same with them just having, as mentioned, about Wi-Fi drivers and so forth, and it just makes everyone's life easier to do that. Um, I don't know. I don't know the reason why they don't think of that. Because you're developing it for like Windows or Mac, for example. Like, why wouldn't you just add on their Linux as well? And obviously, I know Mac and Windows are going to ha- have a probably a way bigger user base, but it still, if you do it for all of those two, you might as well just go the whole hog and add it for the Linux as well because then you just cover every solution then. Yeah, Especially, absolutely. I, th- I think Microsoft really is just kind of turning Windows more and more Linux hide under the hood from what I can tell. Because so they have always been running, which I found uh, interesting, basically a customized Linux kernel basically on Windows for their kernel. And yeah, now just obviously with WSL and so forth and just what they're doing with that, I just feel like it's becoming more and more Linux under the hood.
0: Yeah, I think Microsoft has, uh, at least in the recent year, it's changed a lot. They open source more things. They're more grateful for the open source community. They're on the Linux Foundation board, I think it's called, the people that sponsor the Linux kernel and they're putting out more and more stuff. uh, Uh, Yeah. Like we talked about earlier, Visual Code, like that uh, IDE from Microsoft. Now a lot of people are running it on Linux.
1: Uh, yeah, because it's open source and yeah, it's just cross can be cross compiled. So yes, yeah, another oh, one that everyone hates. But I can't remember the language that it's um, made in, but it's, I know people just kind of like get a bit annoyed because it can be a bit resourcing but I just can't think of the name at the moment. But uh, yeah, Microsoft are definitely changing their tune. I just hope it
0: continues to expand more on that and they don't go backwards. Yeah, that would kind of suck if they went backwards on that. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. So what's the latest interesting exploits or proof of concept that you read recently and you thought, oh, whoa, this is really smart in a really unique way and this is cool?
1: think the uh print spoiler stuff for for the print nightmare, that's cool. And also finding out that Microsoft screwed up the permissions of the SAM and security type files for normal users. It has a read permissions on it, which was quite funny. I think gonna to put a patch out for that yet, but I know it's something that is Gonna be
0: fixed. I'm just like, how did Microsoft mess that one up? Yeah, and it's probably been like that forever, right?
1: uh the creator of Mimi Cat, if I recall correctly, because I kind of, uh, I follow a lot of people on Twitter. I got kind of notified as the story was kind of like breaking when people started posting about it. They found that it was vulnerable in certain versions of Windows 10, but it's not in others. And I think if it you like uh, upgrade it also makes it then vulnerable as well. But for other people uh, found that also if you do a clean install of certain OS versions that I think it was vulnerable there as well. So I don't I honestly have no idea how Microsoft managed to do that one. There's some probably uh, update that triggered it but as long as Microsoft ends up fixing it. You can manually fix it yourself as well, but it's probably just better to wait until Microsoft push out an update for it. Yeah, How do you manually
0: fix it? Is there a patch, patch available that you install? or
1: uh, It's just a command line. Uh, you just do a command line, uh, switches, and you can then remove that permission off of it. I can't remember the uh, command off the top of my head because it was something that I uh, saw on Twitter. I know there has been other articles about it where I think it tells you the command that you're able to run as well so if you just googled it you'd more than likely find
0: it awesome I'll I'll google it and put it in the show notes Then. so during your uh, regular week for you when do you feel that you're kind of peaking on happiness when's your most happiest moment in the week would you say Friday (laughs) Friday yeah
1: yeah definitely when it's nearly the weekend and you can just relax from the stress of work and just be able to focus on what you want to be able to focus on in your spare time of your hobbies and whatnot and be able to just get any, uh, like, house-type stuff, like if you need to mow the yard, for example, or something like that, and just have fun. And if the weather's nice, which uh, does happen uh, every now and again in the UK, um, <laughs> go for, a, like, a ride on my motorcycle and just enjoy going just randomly anywhere doesn't matter if I get lost I can just go on my phone and just plug in the sat nav and try and get somewhere where I then recognise where I'm going but it's just nice to go exploring because I've done that and I might start going further afield exploring a bit more that's not too far from home yeah it's just fun to do that and you can just relax and yeah just try and just get ready for the next week ahead
0: yeah make sure you're rested and don't have so much stress and just focus on yourself a bit
1: yeah most definitely definitely have always try and find time to just to do stuff that you enjoy and and just be able to relax and if there's like housework that you want to do you can always do it the next day just always take a, a good definitely a good day off or so to just focus on yourself and doing stuff that you enjoy
0: absolutely that's that's really nice because if you forget about that it's uh, life kind of gets uh, can be get a bit too stressful sometimes yeah most definitely
1: i think also it just comes down to the fact that a lot of people probably just always Overthink, like, oh, what about oh, if I don't do that and do that, and you just kind of start spiraling. Um, I'd say just do just take one thing at a time, and when you've done that, cool, you can rest for a while and then do something else on your list. Um, it's just the yeah, just take one thing at a time, and hopefully, it'll just be a lot less stressful for yourself. And
0: and yeah, absolutely, I think that's a great ever great thing. So, is there anything I've forgotten to ask you about the Harvester or DNS Recon that you would like to cover or highlight or maybe some feature you would like to more people to know about?
1: Um, nothing comes to mind. Um, I know people have asked like, "Oh, can you maybe like get uh it on Pi uh Pi Pi?" Um, but uh yeah, y- You can just literally pull it from the repository and basically do the equivalent of what you would do. so instead of just like, you can still pip install it, but you just have to pull it down from the repo. So it's not uh, too different. It's just just not as simple as doing that. Um,
0: I think uh, other
1: than that, really, just go and have fun and uh, add feature requests, pull requests if you can code and, yeah, just have fun with it and report back stuff and yeah.
0: Totally. Give it a try. We have it linked in the show notes. So what does the future hold for the harvester? Uh, is there any fun new features that you guys are working on?
1: Uh, let's, I, need, I need to double check with uh, Matt what he's uh, working on. But I've got a few just things that I've got in mind just about tidying way stuff's done and just basically improve um logging to help make debugging a bit easier and uh, add more modules and whatever else that we can think of and the community really and just go about adding that and and expand on uh the rest api as well and yeah and just see where things just carry on going
0: that's amazing that's uh that's really nice to hear what does the future hold for you? Do you have any hidden projects that you're currently working on?
1: Uh, I've been just looking at uh, what security certs that I can go about taking that I think will be a good introduction as like a first cert for me to get. So I've been looking at that really and go from there.
0: That's awesome. All right, yay. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on uh, Security Headlines. It was really nice to hear about about the harvester from someone that's actually involved in the development and maintaining of it. And I hope you will join us on a future episode. Oh, thank you for having me. And yeah, I'm more than happy to come and settle down the line. Awesome. Thank you so much and have a great day. Ciao.